Thank you for joining us for this Prima podcast. My name is Taekwon Gilbert. I'm the education coordinator at Prima and the moderator for today's podcast. October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. National Cybersecurity Awareness Month was designed to increase awareness regarding the significance of cybersecurity, as well as provide the necessary resources to ensure people are safe and secure online. To commemorate the 18th anniversary of National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, Prima created a National Cybersecurity Awareness Month podcast series. Each week during the month of October, Prima will feature podcasts that share important information about cybersecurity. On this podcast, Sue Wei Ford, Senior Vice President for Willis Towers Watson, will speak on how to successfully implement a cybersecurity plan within your entity. Sue, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Taekwon. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Very welcome. So to start off, what is cybersecurity? Cybersecurity is such a big, broad category. It speaks to the security environment of an organization, but everybody kind of tosses it around in the insurance business as the insurance coverage. So depending on who's using the term, it can mean so many different things. Why should I care about cybersecurity? I think that was the question many years ago because the internet and networks and servers were such a, it was not as ubiquitous as it is today. So if we think about our daily lives, we're using the internet for almost every aspect and companies are racing to utilize technology for productivity and better profits and better profit margins. And so what we find today is is that the issue of cybersecurity really is an enterprise-wide issue. And for some companies, the lack of cybersecurity can lead to lawsuits and litigation and complaints, loss of brand reputation, and in some cases, you know, the demise of the organization or the company. And so these days, if we think about how interconnected and dependent we are by technology, It's everybody's concern to make sure, and I'm going to throw out a term here, to make sure that they're abiding by some cyber hygiene tactics. What are some easy or low-hanging fruit that I can implement? From an organizational perspective, and this is a hot topic in the insurance arena, particularly with underwriters seeking to weed out better risk from the others, the low-hanging fruit is multi-factor authentication. So, Many people use the acronym MFA. So MFA really is an added layer of protection so that if someone is trying to access your network remotely or your emails or for privileged access to, let's say, you know, the accounts payable portion of your network, that there's an added layer of security where they need to have another piece of information before they can gain access. We have found that just by deploying MFA more fully in an organization can mitigate anywhere between 60 to 90% of the ransomware events that we have seen lately. And this technology has been around for over 10 years. And in some cases, you may already have it as part of the technology platform that you're utilizing in your organization. Some of the other items are to have your backups separate from the network. You know, imagine you have your backups on the same network as all of your other applications or your emails. Somebody is able to get onto that network. Well, now they have access to your backups. 
And if you don't get access to your backups and those times, then you're really kind of stuck and beholden to the hacker and potentially will need to pay the ransom to get your servers and data back. The last item is an incident response plan. And these days, your incident response plan or your IRP should be integrated with your business continuity planning, meaning if you should have some sort of network incident, how will you respond? And not play-by-play, but generalities. And then in addition, if you don't have access to your network or your data, how will you continue to operate? These are all issues that should be contemplated by a responsible organization, and this is exactly what underwriters are looking for these days. Are there any frameworks that I can use? Certainly. Particularly for public entities, the NIST, that's N as in Nancy, I, S as in Sam, T as in Tom, the NIST framework provides a really good outline of what IT professionals should be looking into. Now, it's a pretty heavy-duty process to go through, but I think if you go read through the outline and the framework, you get a pretty good sense of what you should be looking for and implementing within your organization. But what if I don't have the budget for a dedicated IT staff? This is certainly an issue for so many public entities. So, number one, you know, perhaps a third-party vendor could be the answer from a budgetary standpoint. So you're paying for the contract and the services, but you don't necessarily have the headcount issues to consider. Another suggestion that I have made is to partner with other public entities and perhaps share in a vendor contract, meaning there are plenty of companies that offer IT professionals as an outsourced role, and maybe you can't afford to have someone full-time at your organization, but perhaps if you partnered with one or two or three other public entities, you all can share in that person. And I say, you know, getting 20% of a great IT professional is so much better than having no IT professional. How do I pick a security vendor? That's such a great question. So security vendor is like any other vendor that you want to make sure that you're vetting through. Oftentimes, I know that there's a procurement process, but Cheaper is not always better in this area. My suggestion would be to vet the vendor for reputation as well as the services that they're able to offer. Also, you may want to understand their security environment, how to make sure that they can keep your network secure as they're working in your network and on your servers. Additionally, you may want a second set of eyes, so another vendor once a year or periodically provide some sort of oversight just to make sure that the vendor that you've partnered with is doing what they should be doing. Because sometimes, you know, one set of eyes can miss something that another set will catch. So this doesn't mean that you need to engage two vendors, but perhaps that second vendor can be used once a year or even on an every other year basis. If you do have a relationship with an insurance carrier, so many of them have partnered with very reputable third-party vendors. The suggestion would be to review those vendor lists and pick one of the vendors as they have been vetted by the insurance carrier. And oftentimes, you can benefit from a discounted rate from those vendors. So the suggestion is really do your homework, do your research. And I hate to say it, you know, it's probably not a great idea to go with a very small vendor 
I did engage with a client years ago who went with a smaller IT professional or vendor that was kind of a one-man shop. Subsequently, that one-man shop disappeared one day, leaving the organization, the entity, without any access to their network at all. So you probably don't want to be in that situation because this company then had to go out to a third party, another vendor, to unlock their servers. And unfortunately, they were down several days before they were able to bring up all of their networks again. So again, deep is not always better. Better is better. Do I need an incident response plan? Absolutely. What you don't want to be doing is trying to figure out who's going to do what in the midst of a crisis. Also, your incident response plan should include those vendors that you would reach out to to help you in the case of a cyber or network event. Those vendors should include an attorney that could also be your breach coach that could help you navigate your responsibilities and obligations when you are responding to an incident. You probably should bet one or two IT security firms. And I say one or two because if there is a very large zero-day incident or there could be uh, an instance where your number one vendor is very, very busy, I would say you're probably going better off going to your option two IT vendor, getting their A team rather than sticking with the one vendor that you've identified and getting their C or D team. So your incident response plan should not only have an overview of who in your organization would be responsible for what, but certainly who you're going to call upon outside of your organization to help you. And by the way, your incident response plan is not your IT professional. As you can well imagine, if you have a network breach, your IT professionals are going to be very, very busy trying to bring the system back up and getting rid of the malware or the criminals from your system. They will not have time to either speak with the press or deal with attorneys or worry about how they're going to pay the bills. So your incident response plan needs to involve other functions outside of the IT team. And I would say, furthermore, once you feel that you have a good incident response plan in place that also does address the issue of business continuity, go ahead and have it tabletop. So a tabletop is when an outside professional, typically either an IT forensics firm or an attorney that has a specialty in cyber incidents, will review your plan and come up with some scenarios to test the plan. I have never walked out of a tabletop without the client or the organization understanding that there will be some tweaks that need to be made into their plan. I think it's a wonderful exercise, and many, many organizations these days are embarking on tabletops every other year just to make sure that their plans are evolving with the times and they're still relevant. Now, do I need insurance? Insurance, particularly cyber insurance, should be seen as either a balance sheet protector or, in the case of public entities, a budget protector. And I know some public entities have raised the issue of sovereign immunity. Sure, immunity gets you out of the liability claims potentially, but there are so many expenses that come into play when you need to respond to some sort of privacy or network incident. So you don't have immunity from the bill that an IT vendor will present you or a legal 
bill. So think of the insurance as a budget protector, because when you have that incident, you're going to have to respond. And whether you have the budget or not, you're going to have to pay those bills. So the policy really protects that budget line item. And so if you think about it that way, I think that's a good first question to answer in trying to figure out if you should buy insurance or if you need insurance. The other thing with cyber insurance, as I mentioned before, so many carriers have invested in resources for their insureds. So that's going to run the spectrum. Some offer minimal resources at the time of the incident where other carriers provide portals that have claims trends, templates for policies, procedures, incident response planning. Some offer free hours with um, an attorney to help you through whatever questions you might have. And others have partnered with IT firms that can come in and help with either security assessment, incident response tabletops, whatever it may be. So I would say if you're looking for insurance, first, it's the balance sheet protection. Secondarily are the resources that they provide you. And the last thing I would say is consider the relationships that carriers have with these third-party vendors in a response. They all have pre-negotiated rates, and these rates are oftentimes a lot better than what you could possibly negotiate on your own, and particularly if you're trying to negotiate those during an event. None of these vendors that you engage are not-for-profit, so they're all looking to make a profit. And so if you don't engage a vendor through the resources offered by your insurance carrier because you don't have insurance, my suggestion is to go ahead and vet through the vendors that you may want to use and pre-negotiate some of those rates. So the benefits of the policy, budget protection, resources, and pre-negotiated rates with vendors. I think that speaks volumes and would absolutely provide value. I would note, though, that we are going through a very difficult and challenging insurance marketplace for the cyber product. And if you all have, if any of you have insurance, you probably will have experienced this. We're hoping for some sort of a stabilization. We will see. I think a lot of that is going to be predicated on continued losses, as as we have seen frequency go up and severity as well. Having said that, each insurance professional within an organization, the risk manager or the treasurer, needs to consider the balance between the spend on the premium and the benefit. My suggestion would be to speak with a insurance professional that focuses on cyber to help you through that process and make a determination as to whether or not cyber insurance fits in your risk management portfolio. Thank you for tuning in to Prima's National Cybersecurity Awareness Month podcast series. Should you have any questions regarding this podcast or any podcast in this series, please email education at primacentral.org. To learn more about Prima's educational resources, please visit primacentral.org. Thanks again.